If you have your copy of God's Word, please turn to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4 this morning. We are going to look at a passage of Scripture that is somewhat familiar, but we are going to dive into a topic that touches every single person here. And it's actually a topic that touches every single person that's not here today, and that's the, the issue of worship. Because whether we like it or not, you and I worship something, someone at all times. John Piper defined worship as this, a valuing or a treasuring of God above everything else. But here's our struggle because you and I can worship things that are not the one true God. So if you look at your life and you make your priority list, whatever is on number one is the thing that you're worshiping right now. And here's, here's our struggle or should be our struggle as we pray through this, as we seek the Lord's face in this. Sometimes the things that creep up in our priority list are not bad things. They're good things, but good things aren't necessarily godly things. And good things that take precedent over Jesus Christ are not good. And you say, well, pastor, give me some examples. For some of us, if we're not careful, our family, our spouses who we love, we could put them in first place in our life and begin to worship our relationships and worship our spouse and worship our family in a way that's not healthy. And it leads to things like this. Well, my marriage is struggling, but I'm gonna stay married for the kids. You're, you're, what? That's not possible because marriage is a commitment between a man and a woman unto the Lord. It's not a commitment I made unto my kids because I can't do that. And so may we be careful about what we worship because the things that you value most in life are the things that you will worship in life. And we are going to look at a passage this morning of the very first offering in all of the Bible. Thousands and thousands of years ago, one man and his bro offered a sacrifice to the Lord. And here's what should frighten us, that God looked at one of the sacrifices and said, no, actually, don't waste your time. It's not worthy. It's not good. So may we be careful not to think because I'm here to worship, God will always accept our worship. No, we have to worship in with right hearts, with clean hands. May we not give our souls to another. Actually, Psalm 24, a man named David, King David, you know him by, asked the same question. Psalm 24, verse three, David says, who may ascend the mountain of the Lord and who may go up into his presence? That's a great question, is it not? So pastor, if we're gonna talk about worship, then who can go into God's presence? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not set his mind on what is false, who has not sworn deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation who seek him, who seek his face, O God of Jacob. Look at your hands real quick. God, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts that we may not turn to something that is false.
else. And this is exactly where Genesis hits us this morning. Genesis 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and she said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Now Abel actually means breath or or nothingness, probably a foreshadow of his life. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering. But he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Its desire is for you, but you shall rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Let's pray. Father, we are so desperately need in need of your presence. Lord, we need you to show us what true worship is. Father, it is not some token thing that we do on Sundays. Lord, it is a right and contrite heart. It is a bowing of our head. It is a bending of our knee. Lord, give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts that we may not turn to something else. But Lord, may we value you. May we treasure our heavenly father above everything else in our life. Lord, that is what true worship is. Show us this morning what true worship is, Lord. That we will not be rejected when we bring offerings to you, but Lord, that we will be accepted because we come through the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. So Lord, fill our cup till it runs over. Restore to us the joy of your salvation. And Lord, draw us to your throne where we may sing your praises. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna look at two things this morning. Some of you are saying, thank you, Lord. We had 20 points last week. We have two this week. We're gonna look at our work and we're gonna look at our worship. So you are created to work and we are created then to worship. And if you look at verse two, this is what the Bible reminds us of. Eve bore again, this time Abel, Cain's brother. And here's how the Bible introduces Cain and Abel. Now, just let me say this about introductions. Very rarely in the Bible do we get physical descriptions. Very rarely in the Bible do we get descriptions of people in general. And when you do, we should be paying close attention. For example, David was a small man. Some translations say ruddy. Some of you suggest that he's red-haired. So for those of you who struggle with your red red hairiness, you're in good company. But why is it important that the Bible says that David was of small statue? Because David, little David, was the man that was going to fight big Goliath. Why was it important that the Bible says that Saul, the first king, was a shoulder ahead of everyone else? He looked the part. Because the Bible reminds us that man looks on the outside, God looks at the heart. 
So I don't believe it's a coincidence in chapter four, verse two, that the Bible is very clear. Here's the description that we have of Cain and Abel. Eve bore again, and Abel was a keeper of sheep. Now, is there anything in that description that says sin? No, there's nothing. So there's nothing about his occupation that would say he cannot worship. Verse two again, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So one keeps sheep, the other keeps trees. And, and there's nothing in the Bible to this point that, that tells us we need shepherds, is there? Because what was Adam's occupation in the garden? He was a gardener. He was a professional gardener. But here's what God's word, I think, is pressing through to us here. That you are created to work, and in our work, we are created to worship. Because isn't that the context of chapter 4? It's in this context of worship. And so you are created to worship through your work. And the great thing about this church is we have all ages. Right here, we have people, we have um, younger generation that some of them are working, some of them are looking forward to working, bless your hearts. Um, but they're kind of pre-work. Some of you are in the midst of that right now. You're going to the grind tomorrow. And every day you are going to work. Some of you work in places that you just feel are, um, are of God. Some of you are working in places that you just feel are unspiritual and it is difficult every day you go there. Some of you are past this, what we call work stage of your life. But it's not over. It's not over and we're gonna see why. We are created to work and in our work, we worship. Let me give you some stats on our work. 80% of people are dissatisfied with their jobs. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands. We record the service. The average Joe, we'll call him Josh, spends 90,000 hours at work. Now, let me kind of give you perspective of that you will spend 10.64 years of your life at work. 10.65 years. To give that perspective, you spend about 25 years sleeping. And you say, well, where are you going with this? Hold on. You will spend five years of your life at a desk and you will spend two and a half years at a meeting of some kind. Why is that important? Because God has given us an opportunity through work to worship. Think about that. He has given us 10.65 years to worship nonstop through work. But here's our struggle. We live in a world that separates worship and work. Have we not? We live in a place where we say Mondays is for work, Sundays is for worship. And we, we even kind of use that in our vocabulary if we're not careful. Hey, we invite our neighbors. Hey, do you want to come to worship with me? Now, that's not a bad invitation, but here's the struggle inherently in that. We're going to come to worship on Sundays, which almost insinuates that we're not worshiping on Saturdays or Mondays. God has created us to work. He has created able to keep sheep. He has created Cain to work the trees. He has created Josh to preach and to minister, and he's created you to do your job. Why does that matter? Here's why it matters. Because sometimes the greatest mission field that we have is our workplace. 
10.65 years on the mission field. Now we're gonna unpack that, how we can actually live that out. 10.65 years, but here's where we have to be careful in our worship and in our work. We are prone, as that the old hymn says, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. We are also prone to worship our work instead of worship through work. May we not be people who worship our work. Well, how do we do that? We are always seeking the next promotion. We're always seeking the next raise. Why? So we can buy this, so we can provide this. That way we don't have to ask God daily, God, give me my daily bread because I provided it. And we get into this place, if we're not careful, where our focus is on work and it's not worship. And how great the marriage in our life if our work is worship. How dangerous is it when our work is not worship? When our work is not worship. Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, work heartedly unto the Lord, not unto men. So how do we worship through our work before we look at worship itself? Some questions I had of myself as I'm praying through this, and here's some questions for you. Do you waste time at work? Getting a little uncomfortable, aren't we? Do you waste time? Now, that's not uncomfortable in the pews as much. You know where that's uncomfortable? You know what, who wastes time more than anyone, it seems? Ministers. Because if we're not careful, you guys might not know this, but we'll, we'll do ministry around lunch and, and lunch will turn into an all-day affair to the point where the waiters are like, look, you guys have to, you're gonna either have to order something else or you're gonna have to leave. But are we working in a way that people say, you know what, that person, he manages his time well because I know he's worshiping. May our coworkers see our time and say, he is putting his nose to the grind, not for the boss, but for the boss. Are you managing your time well? How about this? Do you take advantage of resources at work? Well, I know, I know this paper is for work, but you know what, let me just use it here. Now, if you have, if you have leniency there and your boss is giving you permission, by all means. But may we not be the person that says, you know what, they haven't said yes or no, so let me just take this. Because what does that say about our worship? If we say, you know what, this, this, I feel obligated, I feel um, indulged, I can just take this for mine. I know it's the work resources, but let me just use it. Because the world is looking at us, Christian, and saying, how are you honoring God? Well, he fudges a little bit on his numbers. What does that say about our Savior? Do you have a strong work ethic? Not just time, but are we working in a way that people say he's working, his work ethic is, is there because he's working for the Lord, or are we lazy? Here's our struggle. For those of you who are post-retirement, if we're not careful, we live in a way where we're gonna make money, we're gonna work, we're gonna work, we're gonna work until we get to the day where we don't have to work. And if we're not careful, we are working so we can be lazy one day. 
And I have seen nothing in the scriptures that say for the Christian that we get to be lazy. You know what I look at retirement one day for? God, one day I'll have more time. I know some of you who are tired are gonna laugh at me. But God, one day you're gonna give me more time to serve you. So if you're retired and you say, look, I just want to do something for the Lord, you are at a place here at Bethel where the doors are wide open for you to serve and minister to people in this season of your life. Do not waste it on laziness, but work heartily unto the Lord. Work unto the Lord. Why is it important? Because sometimes work is the greatest mission field that we have. Think about this. You have 10.65 years to pour your life into others. Do your coworkers know about Jesus because you're there? There is a reason that Abel and Cain had the occupations. There's a reason you have the occupation that you have. There's a reason some of you are engineers. It's not just because you're smart or like numbers. It's because God has put you there to share Jesus Christ. 10.65 years. And if you're retired, call your coworkers back and say, look, we spent 30 years of our life together. I, I just need to ask you this question. I didn't ask you this in the last 30 years, but it's so important because my Savior loves me. Do you trust in Jesus? And by the way, if you've worked with someone for that long, you have the right to ask them. And not only do you have the right, they will probably listen. You are a missionary in your work. May we be people who worship through our work. Are you doing it wisely and are you doing it unto the Lord? Lord, keep us faithful. You are created to work and we are also created to worship. Let's look at verse three. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit. So if you circle in your Bible, I circle and highlight just for my benefit now, circle an, A-N, circle an, because it's important. Verse four, Abel also brought an offering, but Abel brought an offering of the firstborn. So now let's look at worship with this idea of an offering and a firstborn offering. What does this say about our worship? First, I see this. We worship with full hearts. You and I worship with full hearts. There is nothing in this passage that says they worshiped and they offered because they had to. Actually, it says the opposite, isn't it? Verse three, in the process of time, it came to pass that came brought. There's nothing that says they were obligated. So I believe here in scripture that they, they just felt a need. Look, Lord, we are, our hearts are overflowing. We are going to offer to you. Actually, that was probably something that was passed down from their dad. Adam probably gave them the habit of offering, of worship. Fathers, pay attention. May we be people who pass down to our families habits of worship. It is not my job to lead your family in worship. Dads, it is your job. It is not my job to lead my family in worship because I'm pastor. It is my job to lead my family in worship because I have four eyes at home that call me daddy. In the passage of time, they worshiped. We worship when our hearts are full, but what does that mean? 
I know there are people here this morning that you don't feel like your heart is full. You feel like your heart is broken. So when we say hearts are full, does that mean that we just walk around and when people say, hey, how's your day going? Oh, it's fine. My house burned down last night. The sinkhole came and swallowed it whole. My dog just got run over. My bank account just got drained by terrorists. But you know what? I'm fine. And by the way, I just got chicken pox this morning. But I'm a Christian. Pastor said, my heart's overflowing. I'm fine. That is not what God's word tells us. Because I know there are many of you who have walked in this morning and you feel anything but fine. But I just wanna share with you because of Jesus Christ, you can still say, Lord, I am broken, but my heart still is full. This is what Paul says in Philippians 4.11. That leads to a verse that you know well. Verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned that in whatever state I am to be content. Now that's a word we don't even understand anymore, is it? Content? Lord, so I should be okay with what I have? But Lord, the TV says I need a new car. The TV says that when I'm hungry, I need something to satisfy my hunger. So I need a Snickers. Lord, I, I, I need those new, those new shoes with air in them. Just do it. We live in a world that says, don't be content. I know your clothes don't have holes in them, but buy new clothes that do have holes in them. What? Right? I mean, think about the absurdity of the world we live in and pay a premium for those torn up clothes. Lord, help us be content. Verse 12, I know what it means to be abased. I know how to abound. But then he says this, everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then verse 13, he says, I know, I know what it means to suffer, but yet I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Paul says, I know every situation. I came in those doors broken, but I can do it because my heart is full because Jesus Christ died for me. And because my heart is full, I will now worship. We are not obligated to worship. We worship because we can. We worship because we can in the process of time. We also worship in this way. Verse four, Abel brought of the first. Abel brought of the first. We have to be careful here because our offerings can often be rejected. Does that not scare you like it scares me? So what I understand from God's word is this. If I come into this place and my heart is not ready, my voice, my voice is not warmed up, I can worship in a way that God says, pastor, you know what? No, actually, I'm not gonna receive that today. But here's the reality of our worship. It has nothing to do with my voice. It has nothing to do with the quality of my singing. Worship has to do everything with this. Are you bringing an offering or are you bringing the first of your offering? Because God's word commands us to bring the first. And here's our struggle. Sometimes we wanna just bring what's left over to God and saying, God, 
I'm just gonna bring the end, not the beginning. And the beautiful picture we get of our worship, think about this now. What day do we worship on? And this is not coincidence. We worship on Sundays. And Sunday is what? Why do we worship on the first day of the week? Because we wanna give God the first of our week. And sometimes we don't think about that, do we? Because for most of us, for me, this is my first day. This is my work day. I know pastors only work one day a week, so this is it. But for some of you, you feel like this is the last of your week because why? This is the weekend. But the reality should be that this is the first of us. God, give our offerings. God, give my time. God, let me give you the first. And it's the same thing with our tithes and offerings. It's the reason my wife and I, we, we give ourselves allowances to keep a boundary. But before we give ourselves allowances from our, we don't even get a check anymore, from our direct deposit, we tithe on that. And that's just a small reminder of God, before I get mines, you get yours. And why would God want me to remember that? Because God wants me to remember this principle already in verse two is, pastor, I've created you when you work to worship. You don't work to fill your bank account, to fill your stomach. Josh, you work to worship. And so I want an offering and tithe of that to remind you that your work is worship. See how that works? And I thank God that he gives me the chance that I can offer something to the king. And he says, I'll accept that. Because the truth of my life is there is nothing first or last in my life that is truly worthy of the king. And yet he says, give me the first. We worship with the first. Verse five, he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Not only do we worship when our heart's full, not only should we worship with the first of our offerings, but we have to worship in a way that our heart and our faith is right. Because I don't think there's anything wrong. Now follow me here. You're taking notes. I don't think there's anything inherently wrong in the offering. I don't think the struggle is that one was of the sheep and one was of the ground. Why, why do I say that? Because what was Cain created to do? To, to till that, like, just like my dad thought I was, right? We had a, we had a walk behind tiller, but he just, he just felt like his kids were tillers of the ground. So every year when we planted the garden, Josh, here's your hoe. See those weeds there? Get them, son. I was a tiller of the ground. So whatever God has created you to do, that's how you worship. So God was not expecting Cain to go find a sheep, steal from his brother and offer it. But why was the offering not accepted? Hebrews says that he did not offer in faith. But I believe it was not because it was of the ground, it was because it was not of the first. Without a right heart, without the right faith, without, without the right posture, you and I cannot worship. And the sin of Cain Baptist religious folk, beware. The sin of Cain was tokenism. You know what tokenism is? I'm just gonna do it because I think I should be doing it. Lord, I'm just gonna get baptized because I know that's what I, I, I should be doing. 
I know my heart's not right, but I'm just going to do it. Lord, I'm going to join the church because I I think I should be doing it. I'm just going to kind of worship regularly because I should be doing it. And I'm going to do, I'm going to give, I'm going to do, and yet I'm not going to put my heart into it. And in that situation, God looks at you and he looks at me and says, I will not receive your worship. Actually, in the prophets, God looked at his people and said, your worship, your offerings which rise to the heaven are a stench. Is your heart right? Is your faith right? I believe wrong worship is like this. It's like trying to put gas in a car that won't run, or even worse, it's like trying to put water in a new vehicle. Anyone ever owned a new vehicle or a vehicle that was new to you? Let's just put it that way. The rest just walk, I guess. Um, I remember my first new vehicle Okay, now I, I graduated high school in the year 2000, not 2010, not 2016, I graduated in the year 2000. And I got my first vehicle in 1998. So are you following? So 1998, I started driving. And my first new vehicle was a 1986 and a half Nissan pickup, hard body. Right? This, is, this was the year after Datsun became Nissan. And I, I bought that sucker for $2 from my grandfather, $2. And he said, here's a condition though. The paint job's horrible. You need to get a new paint job. Okay. So, the, so I, I saved up a couple hundred dollars and got a new paint job. Beautiful color. I mean, just sparkled maroon with white stripe. I mean, that, that sucker was beautiful. Heavenly almost. And, and, and I was kind of like some of you do with new, new vehicles. It was new. The paint job was new. So when I went to the grocery store, you know where I parked? I parked as far back as I could. Lord, if I have to walk a mile, I don't care. I just don't want a ding or a scratch. So because it was new. It was new to me. That's, that's what I wanted. Um, that car is now in the junkyard because the transmission died. And they made that transmission one year, 30 years ago. So there's no replacement. I still, still have hard feelings about that. But can you imagine me leaving the, the auto body shop with my, with my new car, with my brand new paint job? So I'm gonna fill this with premium fuel and going and putting water in the tank and then putting the key into the ignition, turning it, and what would happen? Nothing. The same is with our worship if we're not worshiping with a true heart. Some of you look like shiny new cars. Sometimes I look like a new car coming in here and God can see through. He says, Josh, there's no power in that vehicle. It looks good. I know you put a new sound system in it. Josh, I like the color, but there's no power in the vehicle because there's no fuel. And without the right heart, without faith in Jesus Christ and without us renewing that strength daily, your worship is powerless. And how, how much that break our hearts to know it can be that way. And here's also where we should struggle. It's not as if once you come to Christ, the fuel gauge always stays full. Because that, that's a, I'm terrified. That's a, that's one of my phobias. I don't have many, but if, if the car is on a quarter of a tank, I'm getting gas. I'm not going to run out. 
And I start breaking out in a cold sweat because Casey's car, it has that little thing that counts down for you. And when it gets to about 50, it just starts blinking. So I don't know if we have 50 miles or one. I don't. And my brother had a Jeep growing up that when it got to a quarter, you were on empty. Because the gaze was was messed up. But here's our struggle. Sometimes our spiritual gauge can be messed up because of the world we live in. We get so worn out that we don't know whether we're on full or whether we're on empty and we're just content to coast. And God says, come to me daily. I will restore to you constantly the joy of my salvation. And if we are only relying on today to fill our tanks for the rest of the week, you will be on fumes tomorrow. We must worship in a way that our heart and our faith is right. But we also worship in a way that leads to a right response to our creator. Look at verse six. God says to Cain, I will not respect your offering. And then God said, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? That's literally why are you looking down to the ground? So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And if you do well, verse seven, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Some of your verses say, your translations say that sin is crouching at your door. Right worship always leads to a right response to God. And right response to God always leads to worship. Here's the picture that we get in God's word. For Cain, sin is crouching, and it's the same word used as a crouching lion, that it is there resting and do not wake that beast. And Worship helps us reorient our life in a way that we look at sin and we say, you know what? I don't want to wake that up this week because I've been in the presence of God. I've been in the presence of the King. I've been in the presence of other believers where I now have the strength to say, you know what? I'm going to let that sin lie because what's our warning? Sin is lying outside of your door and its desire is to devour you, to rule you. Now, who in here would get in, the, in a fight with a lion tomorrow and think you could win that battle? And yet, how content are we sometimes to kick that sin and wake it up? To say, Lord, I know that you said this will destroy me, but let me, let me get back into that relationship. Lord, let me, let me take another sip of that. Lord, let me be, I know, I know I struggle with substance abuse, but let me just hang out with these friends. I'm not gonna do it. Why kick sin and wake him up when God has given you the strength in Jesus Christ to leave that lie down? May our worship glorify God. Well, how can we worship? Just some areas of reflection as we wrap up this morning. How can we worship like Abel and not Cain? How can we worship better? Do you see worship as a privilege and not as an obligation? Do you see worship as a privilege? Lord, I get to worship, not I have to worship. And that's not something that you struggle with alone. 
Because the reality is, I, I have to be here to worship. That's my job. Right? The reality is Brad has to be here on the front row. Maybe not the front row, but close to it. So whether I want to or not, you're expecting me here. But Lord, may I never get to the point where I come here because I must. May we get to the point where we say we come here because we, Lord, we live in a place and we live through Jesus Christ where I can worship. Father, may we worship like Abel. Do you see worship as a lifestyle and not an event? For those of you who are gonna suit up and go to your occupation tomorrow, are you bringing your life of worship there? Well, pastor, I can't talk about Jesus there. There are rules. I can't play Christian music. They will not let me do that. But yes, they can't keep you from praying for your coworkers, can they? And if you share your faith and you get fired, I know this, that you will be better for it and God will still provide. But you don't understand, I have a family to provide for. I could lose my house. And yet we know this, even if that happens, even if we face the fires, God says, I will protect you. For to live is Christ, to die is gain. God may worship be our lifestyle. Do you use your worship to see God on his throne? We come here to make much of Jesus Christ. And do you use your worship to put yourself back in your place? Isn't that what what worship should help us do? That worship should put us back in our place. Where when we walk in here, we say, Lord, I'm here. Aren't you glad, Father, that I, I showed up? That we say, God, put me in the place that I can truly pray, not my will be done, but yours that we say, Lord, I don't know if I can do this, but Father, take my desires away and put your desires within me. And does your worship, do you worship in a way that you're not worshiping to seek a response from God? May we not come and say, God, I'm gonna worship you. I'm gonna give you this offering. God, I'm gonna pray. God, I'm gonna do this so you will do for me. Because we're not here performing for God. And even if you were, we cannot outsing the angels. Think about that. Even if you have a heavenly voice, you're not an angel. Believe me. So why do we think that we can perform in a way that God would accept our performance? Because here's the beauty of the gospel. We're going to close on this thought that God has already responded to us and his name is Jesus Christ. That God does not wait on you and say, look, if you come faithfully to Sunday school or life groups for a year, then I will bless you. If you come to worship, if you join the church, if you sing in the choir, if you just take this position, if you do this, if you worship this way, then I'll accept you. Actually, God said this, you cannot worship on your own. So I'll send you the offering that you've been waiting for. And his name is Jesus. And he died on the cross to make you right before God. Because there's no offering of the ground. There's no offering of the sheep that I could give to make myself worthy to God. 
but his name is Jesus Christ, who is a spotless lamb that makes you and I right. If you're here and you're, you're scared of God, you say, you don't know what I've done in my life and I know he's gonna judge me and I am terrified. The Bible says that Jesus Christ took the wrath of God for our sake. Have you put your faith in him and trusted him? And when we do, he takes away our sin and he offers forgiveness in his place. And he adopts us into a new family and makes you and I a new creation. How is your worship? Worship is this, valuing and treasuring God above everything else in our life. So Lord, when we make our list, may our heavenly father be first. Let's pray.